So this morning we're coming to John chapter 3 and we pick up in this conversation that Jesus is having in the middle of the night with arguably the smartest religious leader that Jesus encountered during his days. He's having this conversation with a guy named Nicodemus. He would have been the guy that wrote all the books, spoke at all the Christian conferences during his day. He was the one that everyone gathered around to listen with. And I love that it's in the midst of this kind of complex man and this intelligent conversation about the Spirit of God that Jesus is going to literally give Nicodemus just the bread and butter of Christianity. And it's going to be here to Nicodemus that Jesus is going to make this statement that has become so familiar that it has kind of littered our billboards and signs at baseball games and football games. You've seen this and heard this so many times that it tends to lose its weight kind of in the context of our heart. But I want you to remember as you hear these words this morning that this is not just Jesus speaking to a group of philosophers. This is in the midst of a conversation that he utters these words. And I want to just invite you to close your eyes this morning. I'm going to read these words over you a few times. And I want you to just let these words just kind of rest on your heart, rest on your mind this morning from John chapter 3. This is what Jesus says to Nicodemus in the midst of their conversation. He says, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world but to save the world through Jesus. I'm going to read that again a couple of times over us. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him will not perish but will have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through Jesus. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send Jesus into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through Jesus. This is the word of God spoken through the lips of Jesus into the heart of a man named Nicodemus more than 2,000 years ago. So, you know, one of the things that I have come to believe, and I would, I would bet that many of us line up on this, whether you're a Christian or not, is, is I believe that there is no force on planet earth more powerful than love. That love is the thing that our hearts yearn for. We strive for it. We chase after it. We start wars over it. Some of the most embarrassing moments of my life have been things that I've done in the pursuit of love or because I have been rejected by love. There is something about love that stirs the human heart. Like your body, thirst for water, your soul needs love. This is true no matter how old you are, how young you are, how rich you are, how poor you are, whether you're white or black, whether you live in the United States or in India, the power of love crosses genders and races and socioeconomic backgrounds. It crosses continents. The power of love to the human experience is almost beyond description with mere human words. We write songs about it. We make movies about it. Our understanding of who we are And our sense of identity is so often connected to how much love we think we're receiving or how much love we think we are being neglected of. There's something about love that stirs us. I remember one of the first lessons uh, on love that I learned was as a little kid, I began to learn that love is never something, if it's true love, it's never something that can merely be horizontal between you and one other person. That love cannot be contained in the context of just one singular relationship. That love is multi-directional, multi-dimensional. That when you enter into a relationship with someone, you don't just love that person, but you begin to love the people and the places and the things that they love as well. I remember with my dad, you know, he's one of my heroes. I love my dad. He grew up in Chicago, Illinois, six blocks from Wrigley Field. He would tell stories of a kid, when he was a kid of being able to hear the games being played just down the street. 
So my dad grew up loving the Cubs, which for most of his life has been a curse until this year we're actually pretty good. And in my love for my dad, as I grew in my relationship with my dad, I actually started loving the things that he loved. And so I remember as a kid, I was growing up in South Carolina and people would hear that I loved baseball and I'd tell them that I loved the Cubs. And the first question was, how are you a Cubs fan? And I could not talk about my love for the Cubs without talking about my love for my dad. Because love is not just horizontal, it's multi-directional, multi-dimensional. You've experienced this with your friends, right? Have you ever had a friend that you grew in friendship with them, grew in love with them, and then you started to love the things that they love as well? I think about when Sydney and I started dating. At first she had her people and I had my people. She had her friends and I had my friends. She had her family, I had my family. But as I grew to love Sydney, I grew to love her people as well. And as she grew to love me, she loved my people as well. And over time, our people started loving each other. That love cannot be contained. That love is multidimensional, multidirectional. It's never just horizontal between you and another person. And I believe this is fundamental to our understanding of discipleship and our walk with Jesus. Because it's true, as you grow in love and friendship with Jesus, you actually start to love the people and the places and the things that Jesus loves. This is one of the marks of Christian maturity. You know, some of you were taught that Christian maturity is seen if you come to church every week. If you keep all the rules, if you give enough money, if you serve, and all of those things are good and fine, they're not the mark of Christian maturity. The mark of Christian maturity is love. And the closer you stick to Jesus... It's not just your love for Jesus that grows, but it's your love for all of the people that Jesus loves. And if you haven't noticed, Jesus loves some dysfunctional people. Thank God. It's the only reason I got in the door this morning. That the love of Christ is the driving force. So as we talk about evangelism and mission over the next several weeks, it's important that we start here in this place of love because to live on mission, to become evangelistic, is not primarily about us learning new skill sets or tasks us managing or changing our behaviors. The mission of Jesus flourishes when the people of Jesus have been cultivating their hearts for the love of God. It's the love of God at work in us and among us that flows through us so that people come to see King Jesus. You show me someone who loves the lost and dying world and I will show you someone that is walking closely with Jesus. You show me someone who goes to church and who claims to know Jesus and has no heart for those who don't yet know the, know the Lord. And I'll show you someone who is still caught in the throes of dead religion. There is this big difference in relationship as we walk with Jesus. What he loves and who he loves begins to beat within us as well. And so this morning, before we get into the what is the mission of God that we'll talk about next week. And the how do we live on that mission that we'll talk about two weeks from now. I want us to talk about the why of God's mission. Why do we even care? Why should we care? And the answer to the question why is found in the four letter word that Jesus mentions in John 3.16, it's the word love. And Jesus says, if you want to understand this whole thing, all this thing that we're doing this morning, you find it as you get a glimpse of the Father's love towards you through the person of Jesus Christ. And so Jesus looks at Nicodemus, and I don't know how this conversation unfolds. You know, so, so many times when we hear John 3.16, we imagine it from a distance. But I imagine Jesus looking at Nicodemus in the middle of the night and he puts his hands on his shoulders. He's a huge smile on his face. I don't know when you picture Jesus. Do you picture him smiling? You know, sometimes we picture him from the movies, and he just looks so serious. But I picture John 3.16. Jesus is there in the middle of the night. He's got his arms around Nicodemus. He's like, bro. Maybe he didn't use that. But he's, like, he's like, man, do you know how much God loves you? 
He says, I know how smart you are. I know how long you've been in synagogue. He says, I know your story. He says, let me tell you the bread and butter of what this is all about. He says, God loved the world so much that he gave the world me. I'm talking about Jesus. And whoever believes in me will have eternal life. Never perish. God didn't send me here to condemn the world. He sent me here to save the world. And you can just imagine Jesus. He's like, but do you believe this? You believe this? And one of the things that I've discovered in my years of Christianity, in my years at church, is that a lot of us know the words of John 3.16, but very few of us understand their meaning. A lot of us know what Jesus said. Very few of us have been shaped by a belief through what he was trying to do there in John chapter 3, verse 16. So I want us to just kind of hang on to this for a minute and listen to what Jesus says. Because what Jesus says is God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him won't perish but will have eternal life. That's what Jesus said. But what a lot of us have heard... Maybe it's because of the church you grew up in. Maybe it's because of a dysfunctional family situation. Maybe it's because of your own sin. What a lot of us have actually heard is, for God so hated the world that he murdered his son Jesus. And whoever believes in Jesus will be tolerated in God's presence for all of eternity. What Jesus said is, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son. Whoever believes in him won't perish, but will have eternal life. What a lot of us hear is God so hated the world that one day the anger and the wrath built up until he brutally murdered his son, Jesus. And because Jesus was willing to go through it, God can put up with us. And the picture of God the Father that a lot of us have been raised with, it's as if God is this angry, distant father And one day he couldn't handle it anymore, so he went to punch humanity and thank God that Jesus stood in the way of the punch. And because Jesus was willing to take the punch, God could tolerate you in his house. I just want to ask you something for just a second. If that is your view of God, is there any part of you that wants to share him with other people? Is there any part of you that wants to be with them? You see, a lot of us, we have been raised thinking all the right things, but we've never allowed the right thinking to change the implications of our actual life. And this view of God, not only is it not biblical, it's actually completely uh, opposite to the God that Jesus himself has come to reveal. Imagine your earthly father for just a moment. Some of you have good earthly fathers, some of you don't. Imagine if your earthly father was an abusive man. Would any of you want your friends from school to meet your dad? Would any of you want your friends from school to like be in your home? No way. You'd keep them separate at all costs unless your friend was in such a bind that only your dad could help them out of. Jesus did not come and look at Nicodemus and say, hey, here's another memory verse for you. He came to Nicodemus and he said, let me help you understand that the undercurrent of your heart is completely out of line with who God actually is and what he actually wants for you. And Jesus looks at Nicodemus and says, here is the grand motivation of God for everything. The motivation of God is love. Every action, every word, every thought, every statement between God the Father and his creation is an act of love. And Jesus looks at Nicodemus and he says, buddy, anything that is out of line with that view of God is a misperception of who God is. Who he is is a God of love. 
And you can almost imagine Nicodemus saying, how do I know that? Because when I look at my life, it doesn't seem like he could be that loving. When I look at the world, it doesn't imagine he could be that loving. And Jesus looks at Nicodemus and he says, here's the proof of God's love. He says, it's my presence. Jesus said, here's how you know God so loved the world. It's that he gave his one and only son. That's how you know. Now, if you grew up in church, our our tendency is to hear that word gave, and we actually remove the word gave, and we put the word crucified there. And what we hear is, for God so loved the world that he crucified his one and only son. And I want you to hear me so clearly. The cross of Jesus Christ is so important, so central to the gospel message. In fact, the cross of Jesus is one of the moments in which the love of God was most visible to a broken world, okay? But you've got to hear this. John 3.16 is not just about the cross. He doesn't say, for God so loved the world that he crucified his one and only son. He said, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. The primary mission of Jesus during his time on earth was not just the removal of sin. That was a part of the mission. That was a big part of the mission. But that wasn't the totality of God's mission here on earth. If Jesus' only purpose for coming to earth was to die on a cross, Jesus could have been born of a virgin could have crawled out of the womb, onto a cross, died for your sins, laid in the the tomb for three days, and ascended to heaven. It would have been a short story. But God did not give us Jesus for three hours on a cross or three days in a tomb. He gave us Jesus for 33 years on earth. And that all of Jesus' life became the revelation of the Father's love. Not just the cross. Does that make sense? That God knew that if you could hold on to Jesus, if you could love Jesus, if you could listen to Jesus, if you could see Jesus, your view of God the Father would change forever. See, a lot of us still have a view of God that is more like the pagan Greeks during the days of Jesus than Jesus himself. And they believed that the goal of the human experience was to walk on eggshells so you didn't disrupt the deity. And Jesus says, I'm here in the flesh so you know how much the deity loves you. Mind-blowing, life-changing reality. I remember several years ago when Sydney and I had our first son. Technically, she did all the having. I was there to cheer her on. But I remember when Michael was born and, uh, you know, just like over the moon with love for that little kid. And we had this friend uh, who at the time, he doesn't live in Nashville anymore. He was about 15 years into this drug addiction, this drug addiction that had cost him his marriage, relationship with his children, his housing, just a dear friend of ours, great part of our church family. And I, I'll never forget, right after Micah was born, we, we went to see our, our buddy and we handed Micah over to him for our friend to hold. And I remember him just weeping. Now, this will sound very sexist, so I apologize. But I remember in the moment thinking, I have never seen a grown man cry when holding a baby like that unless it's their own baby. It was just this kind of bizarre moment. And I'll never forget what our friend said to us. He said, Dave, no one has ever trusted me enough to let me hold their kid. And I went, that's, of course not, right? Like, I had never thought of that before. This guy's journey had been marked by so much brokenness and pain. It's like people had actually protected their children from him. And I go, is there any greater love that a parent could express for someone else than the sharing of their child? And God says, I I love you so much. Here's my son, Jesus. And I want you to hear him and to see him and to touch him. I know what you're going to do to him. But I love him and I'm with him. And as you see him, you will see me. And Jesus says, here's the motivation of God. It's love. 
for the world. And the proof of that love is the presence of Jesus among us. And he says, and whoever believes in Jesus won't perish but will have eternal life. This is so key. Please hear me on this. Because Jesus does not look at Nicodemus and say, whoever believes in me will go to heaven one day. Now that is a true statement. If you believe in Jesus, you'll be in heaven one day. But our view of heaven, we'll talk about that. It's a, a sermon for another day, okay? Jesus does not here in John 3, 16 say, believe in me so you go to heaven one day. He says, if you will believe in me, you will experience eternal life. Now I want to ask you, what is the difference between eternal life and heaven? Because they're different. In the scriptures, they're very different. Heaven is a part of eternal life, but eternal life is so much bigger than just heaven. In fact, Jesus is going to explain what heaven is. He'll define it in John chapter 17, verse 3. Go home and read that today. It's an amazing verse. Jesus is talking to God the Father. He's praying for his disciples. And this is what he says in John chapter 17, verse 3. He says, this is eternal life. He defines it. He says, this is eternal life, that people will know God the Father and Jesus the Son whom he has sent. Jesus said, this is the essence of eternal life. The essence of eternal life is friendship with a great, good, living, real God right here and right now. That's the reason. You remember the story of the rich young ruler? The rich young ruler comes to Jesus in Mark chapter 10, and he asks Jesus a question. He says, Jesus, how do I have eternal life? And a lot of us, through our American ears, what we hear him say is, Jesus, how do I go to heaven one day? And the man never asked how to go to heaven, and Jesus never told him how to go to heaven. The man said, how do I have eternal life? And what did Jesus say? Jesus said, sell your things, come hang out with me. Jesus wasn't giving him a new law. He wasn't giving him a new prayer to pray. He wasn't telling him how to get into the afterlife. Jesus said, the essence of eternal life is being in friendship with God the Father. And the way you're in friendship with God the Father is through knowing Jesus the Son. And so the man said, how do I have eternal life? And Jesus said, I'll tell you, get rid of your things. Let's go on a road trip. The guy said, oh, I kind of like my stuff, don't want to go on the road trip. And Jesus said, that's the only way to know God. And I'll tell you this, that any version of the gospel that doesn't live you, lead you into a real friendship with the real God is not the full gospel. But the essence, the essence of this journey that we're on is that you can know God. How? Through Jesus Christ and the power of his Holy Spirit. So Jesus looks at Nicodemus and says, bro, God so loved the world. That was his motivation. Here's how you know it. Here's the proof that he gave me. He gave his only son. And he says, and if you would believe in me, you'll start experiencing eternal life right here and right now. And by eternal life, I mean friendship with God. And that will begin now, and it will lead you in to all of eternity. What an amazing, amazing promise that Jesus makes to Nicodemus. And here's what I love is until we have an understanding of God's motives and of God's revelation in Jesus Christ, you will never have the endurance or the discipline to live on mission. Until Jesus has replaced the underlying narratives of our heart that says God is angry and distant and far, until Jesus comes in by the power of the Holy Spirit and removes that old narrative, you will never consistently live on mission with Jesus because you, won't, you aren't convinced that God's good. And until you're convinced God is good, why in the world would you want your friends to meet him? But when the love of God is revealed into your heart through the person of Jesus Christ, the mission of Jesus, not only does it become natural, but it becomes unstoppable. 
The mission is simple. It is to show and tell the world how much God loves them. That's the mission. And the message is even more simple. Every person you see this week, here's the message, here's the party line. God loves you and Jesus is the proof. You've shipwrecked your marriage, God loves you, Jesus is the proof. Your sexuality is confused, God loves you and Jesus is the proof. You're addicted, God loves you and Jesus is the proof. You're a hard-hearted Pharisee, God loves you and Jesus is the proof. You're legalistic, God loves you and Jesus is the proof. You're rebellious, God loves you and Jesus is the proof. And some of you are going, well, but what about the truth? And I go, are truth and love opposing forces? Absolutely not. If you want to see that, come over to my house. I love my kids. Watch me tell them the truth about their behavior at times. You really want to see it, come over to my house and watch my wife tell me the truth about my behavior at times. I never correct her because I'm a smart man. But truth and love, they're not different. But unless there's love, there's no room for truth. Unless there's love, there's no ears for truth. And our message is to show and tell and the, and the, uh, uh, people that God loves them. Just try it this week. When you see someone living a terrible life, be the first to tell them how insanely good God's love is for them in the person of Jesus. And watch what God doesn't do over the course of who they are. Some of you are here and you go, I just don't believe this. And I want to encourage you for a second. Um, it is okay to be here and to not believe. And in a few minutes, I want to just give you the courage to tell someone next to you, hey, I don't believe any of this. I've heard it. Just don't believe it. And you probably have a variety of reasons why you don't believe it. And I want to invite you, though. Here's the one step that I'd encourage you to take this morning. Just tell someone that you don't believe this and ask them to pray for you. I want to take all the pressure off. You can't be accidentally saved. They're not going to pray salvation over you. And it can't accidentally happen, Okay. But to just have the courage to say, hey, I don't believe. And to let someone just pray that the love of God would be revealed to you. Because what I know is that God is real. And that if your heart is open to who he is, he will show you his love. For sure. He'll do it the way he wants, when he wants to do it, how he wants to do it. Just have the courage to tell someone. Some of you don't believe. Some of you have grown up in church and you do believe this here, but in the heart. There's this disconnect. And you go, I know God loves me. But you're still living your life as though he doesn't love you. You're still working for his approval. You're still walking on eggshells. You still struggle to want time alone with God because you're not sure he's worth being alone with. Some of you know it here, but you don't know it here. And I want to encourage you. We're going to have a time of prayer. Come up. Let's pray over you. Let's pray that the love of God will be revealed to you. Because when, when Jesus was talking to Nicodemus, he doesn't look at Nicodemus and say, hey, buddy, I want you to cognitively affirm that I exist. That's not what he's talking about when he says believe. He says, Nicodemus, I want your fundamental understanding of God's purposes, of God's motivations, of God's nature towards the world to change. He says, I want you to believe that it's in my presence, in my life, in my death, in my resurrection, that this is the revelation that God thinks you're amazing. That's what I'm after. And some of you need the gentle hand of Jesus to just come in and clean out some of the, the silt that is residing on the bottom of your heart that is keeping you from believing in who God is. And if no one's told you this recently, you are so loved by God. Jesus Christ is the proof of the love. 
and our mission with Jesus is the outworking of that love into the world. So I want to pray over you, and then I'm going to invite you to stand, and we're going to kind of say a prayer together. But let me pray over you first as you're sitting. Father, I know your character and your nature has been attacked and disrupted since the Garden of Eden when the enemy showed up and he began challenging Adam and Eve's perceptions of who you are. Your character has been under attack since day one. But it is in Jesus that we see you in fresh ways. Father, would you come in supernaturally this morning as we worship, as we take communion, as we pray, and would you literally clean out the old narratives of our heart that are keeping us from experiencing the love that you have to offer us through Jesus? Would you change our perspective and our vision and our eyesight when it comes to who you are? And God, would our love with you become multidirectional and would you send us to show that love to people that have not yet received that vision of you either? Thank you for who you are. Lord, would you pour your love out this morning? supernaturally in hearts the way that you want to do that. Uh, Ethos, I invite you to stand. We're going to keep praying. You can stand with me right now. And this is going to be a communal prayer. Uh, Father, we just confess that we don't love the world the way that you love the world. We confess that we see you in ways that you did not mean for us to see you. And so, Lord, we stand here in repentance today, asking for a fresh vision of your love to us through Jesus Christ. And so, Ethos, I just want you to repeat this after me. We've prayed this prayer so many times, but we're just going to commission one another. And as we do this, just grab the hand of the person next to you. You know, when we pray over missionaries at Ethos, we lay hands on them. We don't have the ability to lay hands on every one of you this morning, but this is us kind of commissioning each other. Just repeat these words after me. We are loved by God. Let's try that again. We are loved by God. We are being sent by God. To show the world world. and to tell the world world. that they are loved by God too. too. We are loved by God. We are are being sent by God God. to show the world world. and to tell the world world. that they are loved by God too. Father, before you can use us for your grand mission, before we can reflect this love into the world, Father, may we please understand that we've been on the receiving end of this. However you want to do that this morning, in the name of Jesus, I pray and give thanks. Amen.